you this morning. Let me encourage you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Kickoff is scheduled for 6.30 tonight for Super Bowl 51. The Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots will have at it for four quarters. And at the end of those four quarters, the team that, that makes the fewest mistakes and has the fewest penalties, the team that, that performs the best is going to be the winner. Now, tragically, that's the way many of us look at life today. We have this idea that if, if we don't mess up, if we don't sin too much, if we try hard, if we do our best, then at the end of our life, we're going to end up in heaven. And yet, that's not what the Bible teaches. This morning, we're wrapping up a four-part series that we've called Jesus versus religion. And in week one, we looked at a story about Jesus and the Sabbath. And we discovered that, that religion puts rules first, but Jesus puts people first. Jesus said this. He said, man was not made for the Sabbath. Men was not made to follow a bunch of rules, but rather the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made so that man would have a day of rest. But then Jesus took that and taught us an incredible truth. He taught us that the only way that you and I will truly find rest for our souls, the only way that we'll ever discover eternal rest is through putting our faith and our trust in him. In week two, we, we looked at an unusual story about ceremonial hand-washing, and, and we discovered that religion can clean us up on the outside. Religion can change our habits. But only Jesus can clean us up on the inside. Only Jesus can change our heart. In week three, we looked at the story of Jesus eating with sinners, and we discovered that religion typically separates from sinners. But Jesus seeks out and, and Jesus saves sinners. But this morning, as we wrap up this series, we're going to look at one more story that, that contrasts Jesus and religion and teaches perhaps the most important truth of all. Because this passage teaches us how to gain righteousness. And this is important. It's important for us to understand how we gain righteousness, how we Get right with God because the Bible teaches that only righteous people will go to heaven. And the truth of the matter is everybody is not going to heaven. Now some of us think that. Some of us hope that. But if the Bible is true, and it is, the Bible teaches that the majority of people won't go to heaven. And so we better discover what the Bible teaches about how you and I can gain a righteousness that will get us to heaven. Now the story we're going to focus on this morning is the story of the rich young ruler. And, and this story is found in Matthew's gospel in chapter 19. It's found in Luke's gospel in chapter 18. And it's also found in Mark's gospel in chapter 10. And and we're going to read it from Mark's gospel and focus on Mark's gospel this morning. And so let's start with verse 17 if your Bibles are open. If you don't have a Bible, we have it on, on the screens. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your mother and father. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away very sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible But not with God. Everything is possible with God. Now let's unpack this story. It begins with this man running to Jesus. He runs to Jesus because he has an question. He has an important question that that he believes that only Jesus can answer. It's It's a question that deals with life and death issues. And so he's running to Jesus to find Jesus. And and when he finds Jesus, notice what he does. He kneels before him. The Greek says that he literally fell to his knees. This was not only a sign of respect. It was a, a realization that there was something different about Jesus. This man not only desired to... To show Jesus the respect that he believed that he deserved. He desired to worship Jesus. Now look at this man's question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Matthew tells us that he asked this. What good thing must I do? You see, this man believed like many of us today that that heaven is earned By the things that we do. If I do enough good things. And my good things outweigh the bad things. Then hopefully on the scale that God uses. One day my good is going to outweigh my bad. And I am going to heaven. Now notice the first thing Jesus did. He answered his question by, by asking a question. He said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now listen, Jesus is good because Jesus is God. But he's letting this man know that there is nothing in us that could ever cause us to look good in God's eyes. And so as we look at Matthew's gospel when he says, what good thing must I do? He's telling this man, Why are you saying that I'm good? Nobody is good. Only God alone is good. 
Then Jesus said this. He said, you know the command. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't testify falsely, don't cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Now, these are six of the Ten Commandments. They are the final six, the six that deal with our relationships with one another. And without hesitation, this man said, I've obeyed all of these since I was young. Now, let's pause for just a minute. Let's take a break from this story and let's move to another story. Earlier on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus preached a sermon that that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And as he was preaching that sermon, he said something that shocked everyone. You see, we don't realize how shocking what Jesus said was to the people that heard what he said. But but in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this to the people there on, on that mountainside. He said, I warn you. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, don't miss that. As Jesus is preaching, he said, unless your righteousness, your doing good, surpasses the righteousness, the doing good of these religious leaders, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, you need to understand the Jews had a saying. They said if two people, if only two people go to heaven, one is going to be a scribe, a religious teacher, a teacher of the law, and the other will be a Pharisee. You see, these guys were the best of the best at keeping God's law. If anyone was righteous as far as obeying the law, it was them. They had hundreds of rules and and regulations governing everything they did from what they wore to their social behavior and even to their work. But with all their rules and, and with all their regulations, Jesus said their righteousness, their righteousness would never get them to heaven. The people who were the very best at doing good would never get to heaven by doing good. Their goodness, their righteousness would never be good enough. And then Jesus gave them six examples. He gave them the example of murder. You've heard it said, you shall not kill. But then he said, but I tell you, if you have anger in your heart towards someone, you're in danger of the hellfire. Now who in here has never lost their cool? This morning... I mean, we've all broken that. Next, he gave the example of adultery. And and Jesus said, if you've ever looked lustfully at a woman in any way, you've broken the law. And then Jesus continued. He dealt with divorce and integrity and retaliation and and finally unconditional love. And, And then he said something at the end of this that absolutely blew their minds and should blow our mind. In verse 48, Jesus said, you've got to be perfect. Just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus is saying that the standard to get into heaven is perfection. Now, who can do that? I mean, who can live their life perfectly, never messing up? You're right, no one can. No one can measure up to that standard. No one has and no one ever will. 
James, the, the apostle, the half-brother of Jesus, said this in James chapter 2, verse 10. He said, for the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. Now, what he is saying there is not that all sin is equal. He's not saying that. But he's saying that if you've broken one law, if you've failed one time, you are just as guilty as the person who has lived their life breaking God's law every day. Now, here's what you need to understand. God's law was never intended to make us right with God. Did you hear me? Are you listening? Did you get that? God's law was never given to make us right with God. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Romans chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible, just listen to it. But, but Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, you can write this there on your note sheet. It says this. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. It was given... For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Did you get that? Now, now the law performs two services for each of us today. First of all, it's like a guardrail that is to protect us. As we look at God's law, we, we look at what God desires for each of our lives. And he gives us this law not to keep us in bondage. He gives us this law to keep us from going over the cliff and crashing and burning. And so the law is, is like a guardrail. But even more than that, Paul says that the law was given to show our shortcomings, to show our failures, to, to show our sins. And so as we read the law of God, we don't read it and go, man, I'm doing good. And we check the boxes. No, as we read the law of God, we bow our head and we realize I can never do that. Now let's go back to the story of of this man known as the rich young ruler. Because you see what was intended to cause him to see his need tragically resulted in his pride. What was given to show him that he had a need for God resulted in him having pride before God. All these things I've done since I was young. Now look at verse 21 if your Bible is still open there. Jesus looked at the man and, and it says genuinely loved him. The word for love comes from the Greek word agape, which, which is God's love. It's unconditional love. It's sacrificial love. The, the only way to love in this way is through God. And, and so Jesus loved this man with only a love that can come from God. And he longed that to, for this man to know the truth. He uh, long for this man to, to experience eternity in, in the kingdom of God in heaven. So Jesus looked at him and said, there's one thing you still lack. Go, 
Go sell your possessions, give them to the poor, come follow me and you'll have riches in heaven. You, you see, what Jesus was telling him here had to do with the first command, which is have no other gods before you. It has to do with where is God in your life. And Jesus knew that, that when he brought this one up, this would hit the heart of the man. He may would look at, at the external interpretation of the law and say, well, I've never killed anyone. I've, I've never cheated on my wife. I've, I've, I've tried to honor my parents. I've done all of these things. But when he came to this one, he would have to say, I'm, I'm not willing to give everything up for God. And, and the Bible says that the man went away sad because he was very rich. And then Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now the Persians had a, a saying. The Persians said, that, said, who can make an elephant pass through the eye of a needle? Because the elephant was, was the largest animal that the Persians Saw on a regular basis. Who can take an animal and make an, an uh, elephant go through the eye of a needle? But, but the Jews very seldom saw elephants. So Jesus said, it's easier for a rich or a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now some of you may think, well this doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. But understand, the disciples realized that this wasn't applying to the rich. You see, the Jews were much like us today. They thought that wealth and material possession was a sign of God's blessings. And they believed that if you were obedient to God, if you did what God said, then surely you would have material blessings. And so if you were wealthy, if you had material things, then obviously you were being obedient to God. And so these disciples were listening to this and they said, well, if, if those who are obedient can't go to heaven, then who can? Notice what they ask in verse 26. Then who in the world can be saved? If, if the rich who who were experienced the blessings of God because of their willingness to walk in obedience can't go to heaven, then how in the world do any of us have any hope for heaven? Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Who can be saved? Jesus said, well, with man, it's impossible. There's absolutely no way on your own that you can be saved. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that I can do that can ever earn us a place in heaven. No amount of good works, no amount of religious deeds, no acts of penance will ever get us there. But then he said this. He said, but with God, everything is possible. In other words, what you can never do. God can do for you. Don't miss that. What you can never do, God can. God will do for you. 
How can anyone go to heaven? Humanly speaking, in our power, through our efforts, through our good deeds, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, here's the truth. Religion lies on self-righteousness. What we can do. But Jesus gives us, he offers to us his righteousness. You see, each and every one of us in this room will one day stand before God. And as we stand before God, we're going to do one of two things. We're going to say, God, here are the good things I've done. And then we're going to list those things. Tried to be a good husband. I gave money to people who were in need. Tried to be a good father. I tried to be a good neighbor. I tried to work hard and never cheat anyone. And when we go on and we give our list, whatever that list may be, I, I volunteered at an animal shelter. I worked at a soup kitchen. Whatever it may be, we're going to give our list or we're going to stand before God and we're going to realize we could never deserve heaven. That it is only through his grace and his mercy that we have any hope whatsoever. See, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so if our righteous deeds will never get us to heaven, what hope do we have? Well, let me give you the application. There are three things that each and every one of us must do if we want to go to heaven. First of all, we've got to admit our utter lack of righteousness. And that's a problem for many of us. Because there are many of us that don't like to admit our flaws. We don't like to admit we have shortcomings. We don't like to say that we have problems. We're not perfect. Now, we will do it generically. Well, I'm not perfect. I know that. But some of you here this morning, I mean, when you talk to other people, you always put on the mask. You know who you are. You know how you do it. You never want to admit that you have struggles, you have failures, you have shortcomings, you have flaws, you have sins. And so we say things like, well, I'm a good person. I try hard. I don't hurt people. Or I'm better than those people who go to the church. And the problem with that is we're using the wrong standard. We're using our standard. We are determining what is good and what is not good. But when we stand before God at the judgment, we're going to be judged by his standard. And here's what God says. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory, the standard of God. Because God's standard is perfection, complete righteousness, no flaws, no shortcomings, no failures ever, and complete obedience. 
The fact of the matter is, none of us measure up. Now, you may say that's not fair. Can't believe God says that I have to be perfect to get to heaven. Well, for you who are married, let me ask you a question. How many of you would be happy with your husbands or your wives if they committed to be faithful to you 50% of the time? What about 75%? What about 90%? I mean, what if your husband or wife says, hey, I'll be faithful. I'll love you 90% of the time. But come on now, 100%. That's unrealistic. You need to give me a break. You need to understand that we all mess up and and I'm going to struggle at times. And so if I'm faithful 90% of the time, you should be happy with that. How many of you would be happy with that? None of us would. And yet we think that God's going to be happy with us. When we give him our leftovers, when we make excuses, when we say, well, God, that's the best I've got. No. God demands our all. And tragically, each and every one of us has failed at that. Let me give you two verses. Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. I mean, you take them all, you lump them together, all the good things we've ever done, and and in God's eyes, they're nothing more than dirty, filthy rags. Romans 3, verse 10, there is no one righteous. Not even one. Don't miss that. No one. Not one. Everyone's sinned. Everyone's fallen short. Everyone's broken God's laws. Everyone's rebelled against him. And listen. Until you admit to God your utter lack of righteousness. That there is nothing that you can present before him that will cause him to say, Hey, come on in. You deserve this place. Till you come to that point, you have no hope of going to heaven. You've got to admit your utter lack of righteousness. That takes us to the second thing. We accept Jesus' righteousness as our own. You see, from the very beginning, God knew that our sinful nature would never be able to measure up to his perfect standard. From the moment that sin entered the world and we were rebelled against him, we had no hope of eternal life on our own. Because we're all destined to sin. We are all destined to To rebel. It's in our nature. It's in our DNA. The Bible says in sin did our mother conceive us. We were born into a sinful race. And when we get old enough, each and every one of us choose to sin against our creator. And on our own, we're never going to measure up. That's why Jesus came. Because he knew on our own. We could never be restored. The relationship with God could never be made right. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you get that? God took Jesus, who had no sin, 
and poured our sin on him so that you and I could become righteous. Look at Romans 3, verses 20 and 24 again. It says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are, yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. When Jesus was born to that virgin over 2,000 years ago, and he began to walk on planet earth. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way just like us. Yet he never gave in to sin. He was the only man. He was the God man. who is the only one who ever walked this planet who did not sin. And when he died on the cross, he didn't die for his sins because he had none. He died for our sins. The Bible says when he was hanging there, God poured the sins of humanity on him and he became sin so that you and I could be forgiven and God's goodness could be poured into us. You see on the cross, there was was a divine transfer. God took our sin and, and put it on Jesus and he took Jesus' righteousness and he placed it into our account. And so we've got to admit our utter lack of righteousness. You're never going to heaven until you acknowledge, I don't deserve it. We've got to accept Jesus' righteousness as our own. We've got to come to that point where we realize that our very best will never be good enough. That's why Jesus came. And when he died on the cross, he died so that our sins could be paid for and his goodness could be placed into our account. But there's one final thing. You see, when when we accept Jesus' goodness, his righteousness as our own, something happens. The Bible describes it like this. It says we are born again. It says that we are made new. It says that his spirit comes to live in us. And because of that, listen, we can allow Jesus' righteousness to control us. You see, once I acknowledge, I admit my utter lack of righteousness, and I accept Jesus' righteousness as the payment for my sin, then I can let Jesus' righteousness live in me. In Romans 6, verse 18, it says, You have been set free from sin, you've become a slave to righteousness. Did you hear that? I mean, when we are saved, we no longer have a desire to live under the power of sin. We no longer have a desire to to follow the evil ways of this world. We have a desire to live righteous like our Savior. We have a desire to live righteous like God created us to live in the first place. And now, because he lives in us for the first time in our life, we don't have to be a slave to sin. We can be a slave to righteousness. That's why Jesus said, By their fruit, you will know them. Because when Jesus is living in us, he's going to change us. He's going to make us brand new. You see, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people in Jesus' day, 
They believe that if I, if I did enough good, and I followed the law, and I worshipped at the temple, and I did all of these things, then maybe, just maybe, I could enter into the kingdom of God. But Jesus said, your righteousness will never get you there. But my righteousness can. So have you received Jesus? I want to close with a story. A story about a man who died and he was standing at the gate of heaven and there was St. Peter at the pearly gates. And St. Peter said, here's how it works. You've got to have a thousand points to get into heaven. And the man said, okay, I, I think I can do that. And so the man said, well, first I was married to my wife for 50 years. I never cheated on her physically or emotionally in my mind or with my body. I was completely devoted to her all my life. And Peter said, that's great. That's three points. Three points, the man yells. He said, well, I, I attended church all, all my life. I, I, I tithed, I gave offerings, I served. Peter said, that's another point. You're up to four. Four points. The man said, well, I started a soup kitchen to, to help people who didn't have a home. And I started a ministry for homeless vets and Peter said, man, that's great. That's another three points. You're at seven. And the man threw up his hands and said, goodness, at this rate, the only hope I have is the grace of God. Peter said, thousand points. You're in. You see, that's our only hope. The grace of God. We come to that point where we realize our very best efforts are not good enough. And I've got to tell you, in our flesh, we have a tendency to want to think we are. But you've got to come to that point where you realize you're not. You've got to come to that point where you understand Jesus Christ died and took your sins upon himself so that his righteousness could be placed into your account. And then as his spirit comes to live in your life, you no longer want to be a slave to sin. You now want to be a slave to righteousness. Now there are some of you here this morning who most likely have been holding on to your goodness. And it may have been your Christian goodness. I go to church. Give money. I taught a Bible study. I've, I've, I've worked in the nursery. I mean, if you work in the nursery, you deserve something. And, and I've done all of these things. And, and, and though we don't say it like this, we have this idea that somehow, some way, these things that I do are going to make me pleasing to God, and they're not. There's some of you here who need to swallow your pride and acknowledge your need. Place your trust in Jesus. If that's where you're at, don't leave here without letting Jesus change your life. So I want you to bow your head with me, and I want you to close your eyes with your head bowed and with your eyes closed. If you're here and 
You've never humbled yourself before God, acknowledged that your best is not good enough, accepted Jesus' righteousness as your own by his death on the cross, and allowed his Holy Spirit to fill you so that you are no longer a slave to sin, but you desire to be a slave to righteousness. If, if you've never done that and you want to, then pray this prayer to God right now. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that my best will never be good enough. I know that no matter how hard I try, I'm still going to mess up. I've rebelled against you. I've trusted in myself. Forgive me. Today, I'm placing my trust in you. I believe you died on the cross to take my sins away. I believe you died so that all your righteousness could be poured into my account. So that God would see your righteousness when he looked at me. Right here, right now, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. Fill me with your spirit. Take control. From this moment on, I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Now with